This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions, recorded live in the city of Melbourne. Today's show comes from St. Augustine's Anglican Church in Moreland in Melbourne's Inner North. We usually record before a live audience, but due to coronavirus restrictions, today we have an online audience. Today's big question, how can we prevent family violence? We're asking this question today to Robin Busey. Robin works for the Melbourne Anglican Church as the Diocese Program Manager of the Prevention of Violence Against Women, which is an initiative to reduce family violence. And she joins me now. Robin, welcome to Bigger Questions. Thank you. It's great to be here. Now, we want to acknowledge that today's topic is a confronting one, and we're going to be dealing with some potentially disturbing issues as we talk about family violence. But Robin, whilst confronting, do you think this is an important issue to talk about and have conversations about? Absolutely. It's it's a really serious and widespread problem in Australia. And it's not until you start to have conversations about it that you start to realise how close it actually is, um, that it can affect people in our families, in our friendship groups, in our churches, and we might not know because it's quite hidden. Mm. And it actually affects people from all different backgrounds. Mm. So it's important to have a conversation about it, which is what we're going to do today. Absolutely. Yeah. Also, just to clarify, Robin, you don't work on the specific individual cases of family violence. You look more at the bigger picture, don't you? Exactly. Preventing violence against women is about zooming out and looking at what uh, what's the culture in which this is happening that means it's so prevalent. How can we shift that culture to try to prevent it? Mm. So it's a, it's a bigger picture, so to speak. So you deal with bigger questions then, I suppose. That's exactly right. Thanks, Robin. Now, we do like to kick off bigger questions with some smaller questions just to get us thinking. Now, realising today's topic is very sensitive and we don't want to trivialise the topic in any way, So Robin, our smaller questions today are questions used in an educational quiz produced by Avert Family Violence, which is an Australian government initiative. So there's three questions which I've taken from their quiz on the dimensions and dynamics of family violence, just to get us thinking. Okay, question one. True or false, family violence necessarily involves physical assault? False. Correct. Well done. Yes, that's right. Yes. (laughs) Question two. True or false, alcohol abuse is most often the cause of family violence. False. That's correct. Yes, you're doing very well. Um, Okay, question three, which is multiple choice. Women are most at risk of violence generally in A, dark streets, B, hotels and pubs, C, their home, D, cities, or E, public transport. Uh, That would be C, their home. So congratulations, Robin. That's right. Yes, you've got three of our three smaller questions right, Um, which is, as again, these questions were just to get us thinking. So now whilst this is an uncomfortable topic, Robin, it does seem shocking though that women are most at risk of violence in their own homes. So can this really be true? Yeah, that's certainly certainly the case, that this is the place where um, women are most at risk of experiencing violence is in their home and from the person that um, they love. So does that make it a very complex question? And if you, as you've just said, it's uh, violence from the person that they love the most. And so does this make the, the whole issue very, very um, complicated and complex? It is a very complex and complicated uh, area. And that's why it's really important for us to um, learn from experts and from professionals so we can not try to navigate it by ourselves, but to get their 
yeah, to get their expertise. Right, yeah, yes, yes. Now, there's different terms and terminology which is used to describe this issue. There's domestic or family violence. Now, is this difference in terminology significant? So family violence is the uh, term used in Victoria. Different states across Australia will use different terms. One of the key differences is that family violence is slightly broader than domestic violence. It, mm -hmm. uh, it captures violence between family members and family-like members. So it's not just between current and former partners, but between the broader family, extended family. And it also includes um, violence within, for example, kinship structures and Aboriginal communities as well. So it's just that slightly uh, broader uh, focus. Right, yeah, yeah. So what exactly constitutes family violence? For as our smaller questions highlighted, it's not just physical assault. So what exactly is it? Absolutely. It's um, ultimately it's a pattern of behaviour um, used within family or family-like relationships to control and dominate. Um, so it can take many forms and it can be physical or sexual, but it's actually much broader than that. Mm -hmm. um, it's any kind of controlling or coercive or threatening behaviour. So it can be verbal, emotional, psychological, social control and isolation. It can be financial, stalking. It can be um, in relation to technology, image-based abuse or um, using technology to stalk. It can be spiritual abuse, which is quite uh, important for us to know about in the church mm -hmm. and um, it can even include for example harm to animals or threats to animals as well so it's quite um, it's quite broad and we sometimes aren't able to recognize it because we aren't aware of how mm. broad it is. Now you mentioned just now that it's about a pattern so is a pattern significant in trying to determine family violence? It's not to say that a one-off incident isn't family violence, but generally what we're speaking about is that it's a pattern that's happening, a pattern of abusive behaviour, which um, can kind of escalate over time. Often when the relationship starts, um, the perpetrator can uh, present themselves as kind of Mr. Perfect, really right. charming, um, and it can, it can grow um, from small incidents into a pattern. Um, and that's something to be important when we're looking out for for it. Yeah. Now, Robin, you focus specifically on violence against women, but family violence can also involve men as victims as well, can't it? Perhaps it's expressed differently, but can you unpack that a little bit? Yes. So we know that men do also experience family violence, um, violence from their partner, and, and we certainly don't want to minimise that in any way, any... Any violence or abuse is contrary to the gospel's message. Um, but we're focusing on violence against women because it's a particularly widespread issue and it's a particular issue that needs a particular solution. Mm. And, and, and something else that's important for us to bear in mind is that men's and women's experience of violence is actually quite different. So um, women are twice as likely as men to experience uh, fear and anxiety due to family violence. And also the violence that they experience tends to be a lot more serious with higher risk of, of serious injury and, and even death. Right, yeah. So it's obviously very serious, the violence that women are facing. That's why you're doing your role, I suppose. But then you mentioned that it's widespread. So how widespread exactly? So we know that um, on average, one woman a week in Australia is murdered by a partner or former partner. Um, one in six women experience physical or sexual violence and one in four emotional violence. Um, and it's actually the 
greatest risk factor to the health of Australian women aged between 25 and 44, which I don't think we'd often think about. I think if we had to guess what's the greatest risk factor, I'd, I don't think this would be the thing that would come to mind. It just shows how, how widespread it is. Mm. I mean, those, those are really shocking numbers, really. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it must be fill you in, in some respects with despair in your role, I suppose. <laughs> um, yes, uh, there are those moments where you, you, you're fa- yeah, where you're considering the reality of it, and it can really, it, 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 those feelings of sp- despair are the right description of how it can feel. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, Robin, you work as Prevention of Violence Against Women Program Manager for the Anglican Diocese of Melbourne. It sounds like a very tough job. So what motivates you to do that? Um, I'm really passionate about this area and I think there are probably three main reasons that really motivate me. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one was probably just that we see in Genesis that all people are created in the image of God and that all are equally loved and of equal value. Um, from the get-go, God's got this amazing dream and intention for equality between all people, that men and women have equal value, that neither is more important than the other, um, and they're equal partners. Um, So that kind of vision for us to treat and honor each other in that way is one of the reasons. I think another reason is just the fact that as Christians, we're called to follow Jesus' example. And um, throughout Jesus' life, we see that he was moved to uh, love in action by he was moved to kind of really help people who were suffering and marginalized and to restore them to wholeness but also to challenge the injustice um, that had denied them of their god-given dignity um, and jesus really pe- re- treated women with respect and honor so um following Jesus' example is another thing that really motivates me in this area. Um, And I think a third thing is just um, the fact that as a church, we're called to be a witness of God's love and light in the world. And um, loving our neighbor here is really about saying, this is not okay. And I will do everything I can to support you and to challenge this injustice so that others don't have to experience it. So uh, when I'm feeling despair or struggling with the content of what I'm working on, these are things where I draw my strength from, from my faith. Mm. So obviously your faith then is very instrumental and a powerful motivator for this work. It is, it is. Yeah, I'd say it's my main motivation. But what made Jesus an inspiration for you? For you didn't grow up in a church, did you? No, I didn't. I, I started to go to church when I was 13. What prompted that? Because you weren't from a, a church-going family. No, so I'm not from a Christian family, but actually my parents um, are, you know, extremely loving home and they taught me so much about Jesus um, just in how they approach life. Um, when I was 13, a really close friend and I decided to go on a search for the meaning of life, as you do when you're 13. And <laughs> what, what, what prompted that? Because that's quite a profound thing for a 13-year-old to, <laughs> to start finding the, pondering the meaning of life. I think I, I, I just know that me and this really close friend, we had lots of really deep discussions and philosophical discussions and really enjoyed that. And we just felt inspired to start looking into it and and start reading books about different world faiths and to start having conversations about it. So that led to us joining a youth group of um, a local church. So maybe if I just ask, so in that sense, then what made you want to go to church then? Because some people find that church is not really a place that you want to find any particular sense of meaning, et cetera. So so why church? 
I think we wanted to start to go to visit different places of worship from different religions to understand more. What worked in church's favour was that um, there was a handsome young boy <laughs> who also went to church. Um, so that gave church a particular plus. So we had the really deep uh, trying to find the meaning of life and then the, you know, the real teenage experience of oh, <laughs> somebody that you like. Um, so we we decided to start to go and we went to the youth group and really enjoyed all the activities it was great fun but um we didn't believe we weren't convinced so after a while we thought maybe we should stop going to church um and about that time we went to an event where a woman gave her shared her story about how jesus had changed her life um and i'm not really sure um just something moved in me that evening and i thought i'm gonna give this a go um, I wasn't 100% convinced, but I decided to pray a cheeky prayer. <laughs> yeah. And um, I just kind of said to God, okay, God, now's your chance. It's a bit now or never. And God took me up on that invitation. So um, that was kind of the moment when I decided to make that step. And from then, it was just kind of testing it out, what I'd been learning about church and starting to pray and and. And then seeing amazing answers to prayer and seeing God work in powerful ways. And that really brought the faith I've been learning about in theory to life and to become my own faith. So how did this newfound faith connect with the work that you now do in prevention of family violence? So I think from the very beginning, my church, um, my, my church where I came to faith, they always taught me that social justice is just an integral part of the gospel. It's not a nice to have, it's not an add-on, it's not a hobby, this is the gospel. Jesus came to restore and give life in all its fullness. So I had that kind of understanding of social justice, but it wasn't until I got to university that I started to learn more about gender injustice and inequalities that exist between men and women in society and to start to understand, ah, this is part of that, the wider picture of social injustice. And this is also something which breaks God's heart and is not in line with his initial dream for humanity so mm. it was through that journey and then realizing that violence against women is a key part of gender injustice that I slowly kind of uh, took those steps to focus on this area. Mm. So what, what convinced you then that Jesus then was a worthy role model? Um, I think what really appealed to me about Jesus was the depth and nature of his love for humanity and for me that was like nothing I'd ever seen uh, elsewhere um the fact that what i loved was that jesus was always surprising and you never really knew what he was going to say or do he was right. always surprising us in the gospel texts but i think also that he cared particularly about people on the margins and he was always using his power for the good of others and to bring human flourishing and that felt like a good example of somebody to follow and learn from so let's, let's just turn to more specifically um, the family violence, which is obviously where you spend most of your time. So what do you think then are some of the key drivers uh, underlying our culture that underpins and drives violence against women? Mm, so as we've kind of said, to really understand um, why this is so prevalent, we have to look beyond the individual circumstances of individual cases and families, but look at the broader context in which they're happening and, and that culture, as you say. Um, and what we know from international and national research is that what's underpinning it is um, unequal power relations between men and women in society, uh, beliefs that men are superior to women and 
a culture where it's kind of appropriate to show disrespect towards women. Um, sometimes we can kind of overlook the fact that even today in Australia, to varying degrees, women still don't have the same access to resources and opportunities as men. And they're not always treated in the same way. And we can normalise actually a lot of attitudes and behaviours um, that put down women or are disrespectful, even in really subtle ways. And sometimes we do that without even realising it. Um, some of these messages are just so ingrained in us that we, we don't realise and we don't think through uh, the implications of them. An example, um, perhaps? When I went to an event um, in the UK called Christian, it was, it was about Christians uh, interested in politics and parliament. And I went with a boss at the time who was a very tall man. And you can't tell here, but I'm not very tall. And at this event, um, he was talking to other really tall men and they were much higher than me. <laughs> and they were talking to each other and they didn't mean to leave me out. Um, uh, but the result was that they were just talking to each other and engaging in a great conversation and, and I, they didn't even make eye contact with me or include me. And there was another moment in the evening where lots of people, I was in a circle and the circle throughout the course of the evening gradually closed and I was on the outside and that wasn't because people were like, oh, let's leave her out. I just wasn't as interesting or of value to them as a person in the room. I was a young woman and they felt like I didn't have much to bring. My voice wasn't important. My presence wasn't important. So this is one of the really subtle ways where those people wouldn't have meant to do that. But if they had been more aware and more including, then they could have really made a difference in that evening because the message I got when I went away was, uh, you don't have anything to bring here. Your voice isn't important and you're not as important as the other people in the room. Mm. So it's really about um, thinking about in our everyday kind of engagements, how we can be making a difference in those subtle ways. And in terms of the culture, I guess if I were to summarize it, it's about when men hold more power, when women are not treated with the same level of respect, uh, when their voices are not equally heard, when their contributions are not equally valued, or or when we find excuses for or justifications for violence, or when we reinforce really limited ideas about um, about what it means to be a man or a woman. This, these are the kind of elements of a culture that the research has found makes violence against women more likely to happen. It kind of creates the soil from which violence against women can be cultivated and grow. Right, yeah, yeah. Now, Robin, you've outlined some of the cultural elements which make violence against women more likely, but how do we combat this? Well, we can each make a difference to shift the culture that drives violence against women by what we do in our everyday lives. And we can do that by challenging attitudes and behaviours that excuse violence against women, by promoting respectful, equal relationships between everyone, by making space for women's voices, by ensuring equal participation in decision-making, and by challenging stereotypes. But really, it's about speaking up and modelling a different way, a Christ-like way. Now, you mentioned Jesus as a key motivator for you, Robin, and there are a couple of stories of Jesus encountering women in the Gospels. For example, the Gospel of Luke, which is one of the four biographies of Jesus' life we have. In Luke chapter 8, a woman who has been bleeding for 12 years approaches him and touches him. Now, this would have been a major thing for her to do in her culture. So what do you think motivated her to touch Jesus? 
I wonder if perhaps like me, she wasn't a hundred percent sure <laughs> um, what, what what to do or whether to reach out or not. And certainly, she would have been really brave to go up against all the social expectations and the stigma um, as a woman um, bleeding in that society. But yes. I suppose I think what motivated her was the chance that maybe, maybe just maybe, Jesus might be who people say he is, and maybe he could. Uh, change her life and bring her the healing that she had hoped for and that yeah. it was worth just giving it a go yeah so you really resonate with this particular woman there you, you see part mm -hmm. of your story in her story I, I do yeah yeah now Jesus notices then after she touches him the power has gone from him and twice asked the crowd who touched him then in Luke eight forty seven, the passage says that the woman realized she couldn't go unnoticed so she came trembling and fell at Jesus feet in the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. So, Robin, this is a remarkable story, but how do you react to it? I think every time I react with wow. <laughs> wow, because Jesus stopped when he was on the way to meet somebody more powerful and, and, and kind of more important in society, Jairus. Um, wow, because he healed her. And well, because it wasn't enough for him to bring that physical healing, he also wanted others to know and he wanted to bring that full healing to bring her back into relationship with her community. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So lots of wow moments. So it says wow, lots of wow moments. And I suppose it perhaps even resonates with your own story of being excluded in that situation with important men that here Jesus uh, actually addresses this woman. Um, she wasn't, he wasn't excluding her in the same way. Yeah, I think that's a really good um, parallel. I think that's something that really stands out to me is that Jesus is going to people who are being uh, left out and bringing them into the into the story, into the center with others. And I think that's, as we're called to be Jesus' disciples, we're called to look at who, who might be being left out in church or in the spaces that we're part of and how can we be part of like Jesus bringing them in. Yeah. Now, the woman comes to Jesus trembling. So here is a woman in a position of potential vulnerability, coming to a man of power, influence, and an enthusiastic following. Now, she's clearly done something without his consent. So can you appreciate then why she came to his feet trembling? Mm. So as, you've, as we've kind of discussed, she's an outcast and probably rejected by society, even her family. Um, from what I understand, Australian culture, um, you can tell that I'm British from my accent, Australian <laughs> culture tends to have a preference for the underdogs. So it can be difficult for us to fully appreciate what's happening here. But um, uh, yeah, the idea of sympathizing with the person who's less powerful, but here that wouldn't have been the expectation of the woman and of those around her. She was probably imagining that Jesus might rebuke her or respond with um, criticism that he that that she would be making him a really pious man ritually unclean mm. so um, it, it's an uncertain moment where she's taking that I suppose step of faith in reaching out mm. and Jesus responds in verse 48 and he says to her daughter your faith has healed you go in peace now do you think that this interaction challenges perhaps the the gender roles in the first century I think um, it certainly kind of challenged the way that people were expected to treat women in this culture. And um, Jesus recognized that the way that that culture was treating women needed to change and wasn't, um, was harmful. Um, so I think that we need to relearn to reflect as well on 
expectations that we have of men and women in society and and if they give life or if they're harmful how they're impacting individuals how they're impacting relationships so i think there is that that challenge of what let's test our expectations of of men and women Mm. so his response surprises you perhaps it does surprise me. It's a really tender response. And I think it's very powerful to hear him use the word daughter. Um, it's a way it is quite intimate language and, and it includes her in the family of God, that inclusion again. Um, she will now be able to take part in worship in the temple. She'll now be able to take part in community in ways that she hasn't been able to do. Yeah. So there's a real tenderness there. And then it's also the, the word daughter you've mentioned, but there's also the words go in peace. Which seems, which, which seems to, amidst the family violence situations, it seems peace seems to be the very opposite of what's experienced there. So, so how does that uh, impact or connect with the, the issue that we're reflecting on today, do you think? I suppose the important principle to draw from it is the fact that uh, the Christian message is that we can find deep peace and restoration in Christ. And that's what he offers to all life situations that we find ourselves in, um, including for people who have experienced or are experiencing family violence. So do you think, really think that the, the peace that Jesus offers can help amidst family violence situations? I think um, it's, one, it, it's one of the bits of the puzzle. I, I suppose I see it as an umbrella thing that goes across all oh, the peace can accompany somebody and, and, and saturate their, every part of their healing journey. But I suppose we have to be wary not just to say the peace of Christ will be the solution on its own. Like part of the peace of Christ comes through people getting professional help and getting support from their church community. So I suppose it's more there are different avenues that that peace can come. Mm. Um, But it's certainly a very powerful peace. Now, Robin, you must encounter lots of brokenness and difficulty in your work. So how does reflecting afresh on the character of Jesus impact you? I think it reminds me that the work that I'm doing is part of a bigger picture um, and it's part of God's dream of human flourishing and equality. And I just find that really humbling and exciting that God is inviting us to partner with him in that restorative work. Now, Robin, we have touched on some big and disturbing questions today. And if our conversation has triggered concerns for anyone listening, how can they get help? I would recommend if anyone wants to speak about this um, that they call 1-800-RESPECT and it's 24-7 free helpline for information and advice. Thanks very much, Robin. That's wonderful. So, Robin, how can we prevent family violence? It's about realising that we all have a part to play in shifting the culture that underpins violence against women and ensuring that we treat women as equal image bearers so that everyone can flourish. So let's keep asking ourselves what we can do and and pray for God to lead us. Thank you so much for sharing today, Robin. Let me leave you with some of Jesus' reflections, which perhaps gives us a vision for how we can respond to this big question from Luke 8, 48. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. I look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Please thank our guests today, Robin Boosie. Enjoy Bigger Questions? You can help us keep asking them for as little as $1 a podcast. Support the show. 
go to patreon.com slash bigger questions.